0: Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 19 through 27. It's going to be found on page 1204 in in your pew Bibles. And it is admittedly an odd passage. You will hear this and think, what in the world, why are we reading this? Bear with me. This is Jeremiah 17, verses 19 through 27. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And God, we do ask that you would help us, even uh, this morning, to hear your word. God, that your word would not be separate from our lives, but it would be your word for our lives. God, that by your word and by your spirit, you would continue the work that you have begun in us, changing us from the inside out, to be the people that you created us to be in relationship with you. Through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Jeremiah 17, starting in verse 19, this is what the Lord said to me. Go and stand at the gate of the people, through which the kings of Judah go in and out. Stand also at all the other gates in Jerusalem. Say to them, hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and all people of Judah and everyone living in Jerusalem who come through these gates. This is what the Lord says. Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. Do not bring a load out of your houses or do any work on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your ancestors. Yet they did not listen or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and would not listen or respond to discipline. But if you are careful to obey me, declares the Lord, and bring no load through the gates of this city on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy by not doing any work on it, Then kings who sit on David's throne will come through the gates of the city with their officials. They and their officials will come riding in chariots and on horses, accompanied by the men of Judah and those living in Jerusalem. And this city will be inhabited forever. People will come from the towns of Judah and the villages around Jerusalem, from the territory of Benjamin and the western foothills, from the hill country and the Negev, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and incense, and bringing thank offerings to the house of the Lord. But if you do not obey me to keep the Sabbath day holy by not carrying any load as you come through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle an unquenchable fire in the gates of Jerusalem that will consume her fortress, her fortresses. Turning then to 2 Peter, chapter 2, uh, verses 10 through 22. This is speaking of um, uh, false teachers, and the warning there, and the judgment on them, starting in verse 10, which is kind of in the middle of a paragraph, but that's where we're going to begin. He says, This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and accursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by, or by, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing the Lord, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are continuing our series this morning in the book of uh, John, and uh, we have mentioned several times throughout this series that uh, while a lot of authors don't give us the reason why they're writing their book, John does, and he tells us uh, right at the end of the letter or of the book uh, exactly why he wrote this. And so in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the idea. That's why we're reading this. Uh, That's why we're going through this bit by bit, that uh, we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, we would have life in his name. All right. So this morning, we're actually looking at John chapter 5, verses 1 through uh, 15. And this is, again, a story about Jesus. That's what we get over and over here. It's a story about Jesus, and this time, it's a story about a healing and this is going to take place kind of in three parts, and so there is a um a sick man, and we get to see his uh interaction with jesus and then um, after that we see his uh, interaction with the Pharisees, and then after that, we get to see his interaction um, again both with Jesus and the pharisees so that's what to. What to watch out for, here we go, starting in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. All right. I'm back to the beginning. The situation is is one that we may not immediately be able to relate to, and yet there may be some... uh, some points of contact with us today. The situation is there's uh, these pools of water, and there are sick people who are around the pools of water because this is where they're going to go uh, for healing. They are sick. They want to be made well. That's why they go there. And uh, this is also one of those areas where, um, depending on your translation, it may put this right in the text, or it may put it in a footnote, um, you can check your Bible now and see if you have a verse four. Anybody have a verse four? <laughs> Depending on your Bible, um, most most of them put this actually as a footnote because this is not um, not what John wrote, probably, but it shows up later because you know not everybody understands why people would come to these pools and what they would do. So if you see in your footnote, or if you have a verse four, uh, it says, they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. And so just a little explanatory note, this is what was going on there. And um, so I'm glad that they have kept that uh, in our footnotes, because otherwise we'd be reading this saying, why in the world would you gather around a swimming pool when you're sick? <laughs> This is the idea. It's not because they're wanting to go swimming. It's because they are wanting to be healed of whatever it is they have. Uh, and then it says there's someone who's there uh, and who has been sick for 38 years. Now, not doesn't necessarily mean he has been at this pool for 38 years, but he has been sick for 38 years. And Jesus sees him there, and he learns of his condition. And Jesus... Is moved with compassion for this man who has been sick for 38 years. And so he says to him, Do you want to get well? Does that strike anybody as a strange question? Doesn't that seem strange? I mean, why is everybody there around these pools? They are there to be made well, they are there because they are sick and they want to be healed. And yet Jesus says, do you want to get well? And I think it's a good question. Because not everybody who's sick wants to get well. It's a strange thing that you find, um, for example, in uh, the homeless population. We have a significant uh, problem in our country with homelessness. And yet, if you were to just immediately house everyone, give them places to live uh, before long, you know many of them would be extremely grateful for that, but there are some. Just be right out there on the streets again because they don't want a home. They want to be homeless. And in the same way, there are people who may be sick and they don't want to be made well because they have learned how to navigate, life of sickness, and they prefer it uh, in some ways. This is is true in a lot of different areas where there is a better way to live, and yet people say, I I don't know that way. I've been this way too long, and so I'll, I'll just stay where I am. Thanks anyway. And so this is, a, I think, a legitimate question that Jesus asks this man. Do you want to get well? You have heard, um, you know, with the whole Spider-Man <laughs> uh, franchise, but there's this, the, the line from all the Spider-Man movies uh, that is such a good one, is with great power comes great responsibility, right? The same thing is true with someone who, you know, this guy who's been sick for 38 years, there are things in his life I'm sure he just got to pass on. People didn't ask him to volunteer at the local whatever. <laughs> he didn't have to get up and go to work every day. There were a lot of things he just got to pass on. And you say, but is that, is that trade-off worth it? And for most people, no, it's not. Most people would want to be well. But for some, it's a, you know, I don't know if I want to get up and go to work. Maybe it'd be better if I just laid here and stayed sick. And so Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? And does the guy say yes or does he say no? He didn't give a straight answer. He says, do you want to get well? And the man replies, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Is that a yes or a no? It's neither one. This This is an excuse for why he's still not well. And you can read that either way. That can either be, yes, I want to get well, and I keep trying to get well, and I just can't do it. I'm helpless to be healed in my situation. I need help. You could read it that way. Or you could read it as that's how he wants you to take it. But really, he's just content staying where he is. I don't know. But Jesus does. And whatever his answer actually means then Jesus responds to him with a word of healing. And again, we're seeing the same thing from Jesus that we've seen in several of the signs so far. What Jesus does not do, and I think this is important to notice, what Jesus does not do is say, well, hang on, the next time that water gets stirred, I will help you into the water. And then you can be healed. You notice he doesn't do that. He just says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. That it is by the power of his own word. And we've been talking about this every time we see this from Jesus. It's the same thing we see from Genesis 1 when God says, let there be light and there is light. And when he says, pick up your mat and walk, get up, pick up your mat and walk. that He does. The guy gets up, he picks up his mat, and he walks. And what Jesus says goes. What he says happens. When he says um, for this man to be healed, then he is healed. And his body is made well. Okay, that's scene one. It's this man and his interaction with Jesus. Jesus, who goes straight for the heart, do you want to get well? And then, whatever his answer means, he actually heals him physically. There's more to it than that. We continue the story. Scene two is the man uh, is walking around carrying his mat. Why? Because Jesus told him to, and that's what you do. If Jesus tells you to do something, you do it. So he's carrying his mat, and the Pharisees get onto him, or the Jewish leaders, sorry. And the Jewish leaders say to him, well, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. And he replies, well, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? But he didn't know because Jesus had slipped away. So in this scene, we have a couple things happening. One, you see the man, how he responds again. Now we might get a clue as to his earlier uh, issue of the heart. How does he respond when they get onto him for carrying the mat? Does he take responsibility for it? No, he does not. They get onto him for carrying his mat, and he's like, oh, but it's not me. It's somebody else that made me do it. (laughs) This is the Jesus made me do it uh, response. It's it's rare, but it happens. Um, And so he, uh, yeah, he does not take responsibility for that, which maybe gives you a little bit of insight into his heart or character. Um, but what is the issue that they are having? The issue they're having is that he's carrying a load on the Sabbath. And, and this is one where, you know, usually the Jewish leaders, uh, they don't come off well in any of the Gospels. And this is one of the reasons why, actually. Uh, because they're doing things like this. A man has just been healed. And rather than being able to celebrate that, they are... Uh, getting on to him because he's carrying his mat on the Sabbath day. And we look at that and we say, you people are ridiculous. How can you make such a big deal about something so small and you're missing the big thing, which is that he was healed? And I think we're right to do that. On the other hand, I'm going to kind of take their side for just a little bit. And that is because one of the things that Jesus is confronting at that day and at that time and that place and in that culture was a way in which they were doing exactly this. They were missing the big picture of what God was doing in their midst because they were so nitpicky about these uh, rules and regulations and you know, it has to be just like this. The reason I'm going to take their side for a little bit on this is because in our day, and our culture, we may have swung the pendulum a little too far. We take it when Jesus says that he is Lord of the Sabbath and we say, okay, therefore there is no reason to remember the Sabbath day or to keep it holy. Even though that is one of the Ten Commandments. And we will take, you know, maybe the other nine and say those are important, but not this one. This one doesn't matter at all. And I think when we do that, uh, you know, we can mess it up either way. We can mess it up the way that the uh, Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the Jewish leaders had messed it up by making it all about the rule and missing the relationship with God. On the other hand, we can miss it the way we more likely do it in our day and age, which is to say, it doesn't matter at all. Every day is just the same and you just go hard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And again, again, miss what God is doing in the world. There is a reason that that became one of the top ten. You know, that is uh, part of the Ten Commandments. That there would be a day in seven where we step back from what we are doing in this world to remember why we're doing it at all. To remember what life is about and who created it and who has given us purpose and who it is that is working in this world every day of the week. where we set time aside specifically to listen for his word and to get a perspective on all of life that we often miss when we're just checking off the next task on the list. The problem uh, that we have is that we have that every day is just the same. The problem that the Jewish leaders had then is they had turned this day that was supposed to be holy to the Lord, a day of remembering, they had turned that day itself into checking off the list. You may have uh, noticed yourself doing the same kind of thing even in Bible readings. You can get these great Bible reading plans and you can read the words just so you can check off the boxes next to the daily reading, and you've had no relationship with God, you have not heard from His word at all, even as you read the words that were there. But if you do it just for checking off the list, you're just checking off the list, and this I think is where um, Jesus doesn't take either of uh, those positions where He doesn't say turn the Sabbath into uh, rule-keeping. On the other hand, he doesn't say it's no big deal at all. Just ignore it. There are only nine commandments now. Instead, he says that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, which, um, of course, infuriates everybody. (laughs) But that's the idea, that he understands what this is really about. And that as he goes, and we'll talk more about some of this next week, Uh, He gets in trouble for the Sabbath a lot. But but I want us to keep that in mind because here's what happens next. The man, this is verse 13, the man who was healed had no idea who it was for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, this is scene three, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. This is a weird line, isn't it? Any guesses as to what in the world Jesus is talking about? He says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. This man has been healed after being physically sick for 38 years. When Jesus says, uh, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you, what do you think he's talking about when he says something worse? Worse than what? My guess is worse than being sick for 38 years. And as far as to stop sinning, what is the sin he's referring to? I have no idea. I have no idea. But I suspect Jesus knows, and I suspect the man he's talking to didn't have a question about that either. He knew. And between this man and Jesus, Jesus could say to him, stop sinning. He knew what that was about. And then Jesus says, or something worse may happen to you. And I want us to consider this. A lot of times we think that the worst things uh, that can happen to us are the things that happen to our bodies. And that being sick for 38 years may be the worst thing we There are worse things. And I think this is what Jesus is talking about. He says, if you continue on in your life of sin, though your body has been made well, if your heart is not right with God, what you will experience is worse than a body that is sick for 38 years. You will experience a separation from God forever. And that is worse. And the reason that I bring up the... Uh, all the stuff about the Sabbath. Why I kind of take the Jewish leader's side on that as corrective for where we are today. Because I think a lot of us are in the situation of this man. Where there may be things that we have um, maybe been healed from or maybe prayer requests that we've had that have been answered and we say thanks. And we turn and we go our own way. I'll let you know when I need you again. And the Sabbath, the idea of a Sabbath is this regularly returning to what it's all about, what this relationship with God is all about. The um, having not just our bodies healed or our prayer requests answered, but having ourselves healed, made well and made whole as we actually have a relationship with our creator. This is uh, what Jesus says to this man. "Stop sin- See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And where uh, I will leave it with us this is actually the first thing he said to this man. Do you want to get well? There are many reasons why people will choose to remain sick rather than get the healing that's necessary. Often, the idea of a healing, you know, if you're facing um, an upcoming surgery to heal the problem, you know what? Maybe we just won't go through that surgery because I know the pain will be too much to deal with. I'll just stay how I am now and we'll just make do the best we can. But the question is, do you want to get well? Are you willing to undergo the pain of the surgery? And here's the thing. To be made well in all areas of our life, means that Jesus has to have access to all areas of our life. And so we have to give him access to our finances. And we need to let him mess with us us in that way. We need to let him into the area of our sexuality. And let him mess with our sex lives. We need to let him into the area of our relationships and let him mess with those grudges that we've had longer than we've had most friendships. We need to let him into every area of our life because he is not just the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of all. And he is the Lord of us. And what comes on the other side of the healing is wholeness and wellness, and it's good. Or we can choose to stay sick. So the question I leave with you is, do you want to get well? It seems like an easy question. It seems like an unnecessary question. But it's a really important one. Do you want to get well? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. We pray that you would help us to listen and to understand. Lord, we know that you are Lord of all, and we do not want to imply um, that you answer every request for physical healing with exactly that. And yet, we do know that you have promised um, a spiritual healing that goes beyond uh, physical healing. We know that you have promised even a physical healing um, in the resurrection. As you not only restore us, um, but you recreate us in all fullness and wellness. Lord, we pray that you would help us Carve out of our busyness and noisiness regular times for silence, regular times of space, regular habits and patterns of listening for your word. the ways in which you are working in our lives and in this world, Lord, that as we go back into the activities you have called us into, we would do so refreshed, we would do so with renewed understanding of our purpose, Lord, with renewed compassion for those in our midst. Lord, we pray that you would help us more and more to see everything through your eyes. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever.